Before we get into any uh, important labor news, did you guys ever think about what a fucking banger come out you black and tans is? It's such a good song. Like in the first three lines of that song, the, the, the all-time diss track in world <laughs> history, they, in the first three lines, they've dragged your manhood, your war medals, and your wife into the conversation. <laughs> Damn. That's brutal. They don't even wait till the second stanza to drag your medals, your manhood, and your wife into the conversation. That's like, they know how to piss off an old British man. I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the late St. Patrick's Day episode of That's right. Work Stoppage, everybody. <laughs> uh, yeah. uh, right. I don't know. I've been just like following a bunch of like the teamster stuff because they've been doing some, a bunch of cool cool things and I like uh was the we were talking about the ghost trucks was it last mm-hmm. week or was it the week before that we did the ghost trucks uh i don't know it doesn't matter but the, basically with the new teamsters who had been locked out of the fucking office until the very day that they were allowed in uh one of the first things they did was they donated a million dollars to the striking concrete workers in seattle <laughs> that's fucking like, banging i mean like this is what i w- had been hoping to see uh, ever since I saw that they won the election. And uh, it, it's incredible that, like, because we mentioned on the last episode, like, it, it, we had been wondering, like, where's the action? Where's the action? And, of course, they had been locked out of the office. And then, like, boom, as soon as they're in the door, they're like, a million dollars to the striking <laughs> work. Yeah. yeah. Oh, my. It's like, uh, what is it? Uh, you know, the fir- first hundred days sort of thing where it's like, oh, yeah, you know, they're not going to do shit. Well, apparently the new Teamsters are absolutely <laughs> doing shit. The well, Teamsters <laughs> have closed Guantanamo Bay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I yeah, because we talked about in that that story how like you have those few contractors who are like, look, if we can just use this non-union contract, we'll be able to hold out, and the the workers will have to bail. And like the new leadership comes in and is like, bam, no, fuck you, million dollars. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's what I'm talking rocks. about. Yeah, what yeah. what would it be? Um, Come out, ya Hoffa stands. Come out and fight me like a man. Show your wife how you uh, helped cops down in Bessemer. I'm running out of lyrics here. It's okay. We, we'll prepare more for, for the next time. Yeah, uh, that's right. But yeah. Better than I would have done. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, speaking of uh, preparing, let's roll the music. Yeah, let's roll the music. Let's do the show. Welcome, everybody, to Work Stoppage, your favorite Irish folk song review podcast. Uh, We are entirely listener-supported, so thank you so much for any money you might be throwing us on Patreon. It really does go a long way to keeping the show going. We are 100% listener-supported. We will never run ads except for our own other podcasts. Uh, That's right. (laughs) Get in the Discord. for for classic revolutionary tunes. That's right. Uh, (laughs) If you're not in the Discord already, get in the Discord where you can help me write union-related lyrics for come out you black and tans uh and leave us a five-star review on apple podcasts anywhere you think it would help uh you can even post it in the discord i guess 
but <laughs> you know, everyone there. who's in there knows about the show already. Uh, <laughs> Take it to get get a billboard, burn the billboard down, put up a new sign that says "Work Stoppage Five Stars." Yeah, put up a sign in your yard that says "Free Wood," and then where and then in the box where they assume the free wood is, just write "Listen to Work Stoppage." Boom. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, <laughs> we're gonna follow up by checking in on the Minneapolis educators who have just ratified a new contract ended a three-week strike and uh, one of the things that I thought was really interesting about this is that their contract that they won is only two years long is that yeah. right yeah which yeah. is pretty good. surprising and cool yeah mm-hmm. yeah I mean yeah I mean it's very rare because I kept looking through the the details on this and it that wasn't highlighted up front in the articles I was reading and it's like so there's a raise this year and a raise next year I'm like does that mean there's no raises in the rest of the contract and I'm looking through I'm like oh it's only a two year deal oh okay hell yeah yeah I mean that's always good you know as we as we've said before like shorter contracts are better because mm-hmm. it gives you more opportunities to fight for better conditions so that's a good right. part of this uh, and yeah so we've talked we talked about before like that the Minneapolis educators have been on strike for the past three weeks trying to fight for better wages better working conditions and you know better conditions for the kids and so this was there was a tentative agreement reached late last week that was then voted on this weekend with 80 percent of the education support professionals and 76 percent of teachers voting in favor of the deal so you know not a total landslide but also not a nail biter so most of the the folks voting you know voted to end the strike and right and the percentages do kind of uh highlight who really benefited the most from the contract and that the uh education support support professionals voted you know at a higher percentage to approve the contract considering the education support professionals got an increase to their base pay by over four dollars an hour and a temporary agreement to increase their hours which will be negotiated yearly uh, yeah, that was really interesting when I saw that. So they're going to have a mid-contract negotiation mm-hmm. on on the year anniversary of this contract. That's not something I normally see in uh, union contracts at all. I imagine yeah. it has something to do with the constantly changing conditions surrounding COVID and sure. uh, and like what the needs are. Although, really, we need to be doing more. I think I don't I think it's like will be negotiated to increase again hopefully. Yeah, hopefully. Yeah, and and the the wage increase for the education support professionals will get the base pay very close to the 35,000 like starting rate that the union was pushing for. Didn't make it all the way quite there. And this is one of those cases where it's a little harder than usual to like to calculate that because these workers it's not all just 40 hours a week because like there's varying amounts of time that these people work. So like what their base pay is, is you don't just multiply it by 2000 hours or whatever. So, but based on their numbers, this is, it it got very close to the 35,000 that they were pushing for. I mean, obviously that's still, you know, not the highest pay in the world, but, but considering the base pay has been $24,000 a year. I mean, this is a pretty significant, uh, wage increase for these workers. <laughs> They're also going to be getting one-time bonuses of six to $7,000, which we've talked about before on the show. Like bonuses have been a way of sort of, they can be kind of a Trojan horse where if you get a bonus instead of a wage increase, that's just kicking the can down the road. That's ultimately like 
hurting your cause, but getting, I mean, getting a six or $7,000 bonus and getting the $4 an hour wage increase. I like, it seems like the, that this new contract is addressing a lot of the most significant concerns for wages for these education support professionals. Right. And that's six or $7,000 over a two year contract, which is very different from like $10,000 over a five year contract, which is the kind of thing that we've seen in other contracts. So it is a, Mm -hmm. is more of a thing, but I mean, we were just going over as Dan was kind of alluding to in our overtime episodes that this is actually a way of not uh, having as good of a standard for what the base wage of mm-hmm. of the job is in the contract. It's kind of uh, just another another resource. If anybody knows anything about uh, you know games or anything like that, as soon as they add another resource to the game, it's actually just another way of kind of diffusing what actual power you're character or in this case your union is is really getting and but you know i don't want to be way too critical of it because it's actually a pretty decent bonus no i mean this was a pretty decent deal overall like it the teachers didn't get quite as much as the uh, education support professionals uh they only got a two percent raise this year and a three percent raise next year plus a four thousand dollar bonus which is still nothing to sneeze at but uh not not quite as big of a gain but uh, you know it, it, to have that in writing and then to be able to go two years from now and be like, hey, we need another good contract or we'll do this shit all over again, That's that puts you in a pretty effective bargaining position. So I think that's that's a big win for the workers in this situation. Yeah. Right. And they were also kind of fighting for for like smaller class sizes. And though Mm -hmm. they got them, the numbers here are actually still kind of surprising to me because uh, the way what they won was uh, kids in fifth grade or lower will be restricted to 30 kids per class and older students will be capped at 40 kids per class. Now, 40 kids per class is still super high. Mm -hmm. Like that is why one educator like dealing with 40 kids in a class is actually unreasonable i mean like these these numbers should be like between like maybe if we're maxing it out 20 in an in a five a lower class 25 in an upper class maybe but i mean yeah. even in upper classes you're learning more and and more like deep topics i don't i don't know once you're at 40 students you're like just a handful of students away from it being more of a lecture hall mm-hmm. than a classroom which mm-hmm. is like fine for college students who are motivated to pursue their degree but not good for primary and secondary education students who have to kind of be corralled into learning sometimes yeah i i think the win here though for the teachers is getting class size caps in writing because you're going i think it's a it's a qualitative win because like yes 40 and even with if you if you're talking about some of the higher income districts the cap actually goes up to 44 in like the high school age kids and yeah that is really high for sure like i don't think that if if this was going to be considered this is the permanent cap yeah i wouldn't really consider that much of a a huge victory but going from no cap on class sizes to getting a cap on class sizes written into the contract i think puts them in a really good position in future deals which i think is why it's so important that this is only a two-year contract to gradually lower that right and get that yeah. into a better better spot i do agree absolutely that like even in you know ninth grade 10th grade 40 kids that's a lot in one class. That's that's a lot for a, a one teacher to have to, you know, get a, have a personal relationship with as well as just managing that much, you know, homework and, and, and all the resources and stuff they have to put together. But I, I think that getting that stuff written down 
in some, I would kind of like uh, uh, tie it to like nurses getting like the staff ratio, safe staffing ratios, where even if when you get that in there, even if the ratio isn't exactly where you want it, it's a big win to get that into the contract. Right. Well, it also is basically saying, because I think it's easy if you're an outside observer to think about uh, safe staffing levels or really especially class sizes as just an issue of like, the kids don't learn as good when there's 45 of them in the room. But it's also like when you limit class sizes, you force the school's district to hire more teachers. Mm -hmm. So it really, like you could use the phrase safe staffing really just as easily in an education context as you could in a healthcare context because it's the safety of the kids, the safety of the teachers, the well-being of everybody involved. Like, Well, and speaking of ratios, I uh, am looking in here to see that uh, previously the the social workers for the students, like the social worker to student ratio was as far as one to one thousand as in, yeah. like, the, the mental health professionals in the schools, like, one of them is meant to service a thousand children? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Fucking wild. Uh, and now they've got it uh, down to... Did I'm am I, I'm kind of scanning this. Is it is it to 1 to 250, or is it the other one? So, the, it's... A lot of the provisions, and specifically the provisions for class sizes and for additional mental health resources... Are are kind of have a two tier system. It's 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 based on if you have particularly low income areas, those places, those schools will have like slightly lower class sizes, and they will have more mental health professionals. So that they they part of the bargaining was making sure that lower income areas were not you know left out of this and were actually given more resources. So the new ratio is set to be that in the higher or average income areas of the the state, the or the city, the there will be a ratio of one social worker for every 600 students. But in the lower income areas, the places that haven't been getting as many resources, they were, they negotiated to one social worker for every 250 students. So that, I mean, considering the, I mean, look, 250 students is still a lot. I mean, you're not talking about class size, but even, so you're not going to have every single student taking advantage of these, these, these mental health resources, these social workers. But I do think that the again getting it in writing and getting it from one in a thousand to one in two fifty. I mean that you know it's four times as many as they've had. So that I think that's, I think it's a it's a it's a good starting point. And again, right. I, th- I think that a lot of the stuff from this this contract puts them in it, it. It doesn't necessarily get them exactly where they wanted to go, but I think it puts them in a better bargaining position in two years. Yeah. Uh, on top of that, uh, they want additional protections for teachers of color who have historically been discriminated against by the district uh, in staffing decisions, basically making it so that uh, there's language in the contract to exempt teachers of color from seniority-based layoff and excising. Basically, like, you know, just firing, like, teachers of color first. Right. And so basically making it so that they just can't do it. They just cannot. Yeah, and and so I mean, one of the things that was definitely inspiring to read about this strike was the amount of the really broad level of community support, which I really do think speaks to the good work 
done by the teachers and educators in in the Minnesota or the Minneapolis Federation of Teachers mm-hmm. because the, I like first off this story was not covered in the mainstream press very much I pretty much only saw this covered in the labor press but every story in there was talking about how many teachers and community members were at all their rallies were showing up that they were getting tons and tons of like food and donations from people in the, in the area and i mean even you had like a bunch of the students showed up to to occupy the district headquarters in support of the teachers which <laughs> Fuck is fucking yeah. rad um, love a good solidarity strike yeah well, and like it's especially cool to see it come from students because i think a lot of students have like this adversarial relationship with their teachers right but like it's you know something like a a, a labor struggle will fucking humanize you even to the most like uh, uh jaded hot topic core uh <laughs> entry level nietzsche reader 15 year old you know so, <laughs> yeah. yeah definitely and- and we also saw like about i believe about a week into the strike the the food workers in the district had had their contract come up and they had th- had held a strike authorization vote and were threatening to join the teachers on the picket line and right before they their their they were about to go on strike the district came back and said okay fine whatever we don't want to add more people onto this and gave, gave them a 24% wage increase Woo! which (laughs) hell yeah like that again this is this is the demonstration of what you can get with leverage and and so like a i think it's great that these uh food workers had their stuff timed out so that they could you know if they had needed to they could come go out on the picket lines Mm -hmm. show their support and by having all these lined up it increases the leverage for each one of these groups together which is I mean, 24% wage increase. I understand that like you see the higher number because of how low the pay for these folks is. So I'm sure like in a like raw numerical sense, it's not like a $10 an hour wage increase, but still that is a, that is a a big win, but by these workers and it wouldn't have happened if there wasn't, if if the, you know, the district wasn't afraid of the solidarity. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's pretty decent anyway. I mean, if they were making, Ten dollars an hour before they're making twelve fifty now. So right. I mean that's pretty fucking strong. If I got a hell, if I got a fifteen percent wage increase, I would feel like I was balling for quite a few <laughs> months in a row. Yeah, absolutely. Well, for- and considering that this agreement is a little bit of a mixed bag, you know, with the um mm-hmm. the education support support professionals getting a much better deal in this one and the teachers getting kind of a mediocre deal. Um, I think that what this is going to lead to hopefully, and if I can just like make a a prediction based on maybe not, not enough evidence, but uh, in two years when the contract is up, uh, it seems like we might see the tables turn a little bit and maybe see the education support professionals be like, Hey, the teachers fought for us. We're going to fight for them. And the next contract is going to have really big wins for the teachers. Well, I don't think it's outrageous to think that that might happen because, like, this whole win was predicated on solidarity. I mean, if you just look at the solidarity between the food workers and the education staff here, I mean, that was a really, really big contributing factor to the whole thing happening. So, yeah, I think you're absolutely right, especially in the wake of this uh, organizing uh, in the wake of this labor conflict, like they're going to feel a, a stronger bond between each other as coworkers. Yeah, and to your point, I mean, we even see that from because we have a quote here from the president of the the U- education support professional chapter of the union, Sean Layden, who clearly I think sees this contract as the first step in a long process. 
because he said, quote, we're excited about the wins that we were able to get in this contract. They were significant. We did what we could with the hand we're dealt, but there's more to do in the future. And I, I mean, because one of the things that I've, you know, noticed from going through all of these, whenever you see one of these strikes and whenever there's, you know, real wins in there for the, the workers, you tend to get really one-sided <laughs> like uh viewpoints but understandable like you know the the mm-hmm. the you've had like the unions gone out there they've been fighting you've had a negotiation you got a new contract it's got real wins in there you want to trumpet them as you should um but i appreciated in this that that this this guy sean layden was like hey we made some real wins these are significant but we've got more stuff to do in the future. We're not going to rest on this. We're going to build on this, which, which I think is, is really good to see. And I think hopefully will translate into exactly what you were talking about, Lena, in the future. Absolutely. And uh, speaking of building on it, we're going to go to our <laughs> weekly segment about Starbucks. That's uh, right. Where we have yet another handful of news stories that we're going to be covering. Uh, we can start with a little bit of bad news and move towards the better news. First, union organizers in Boston were basically forced out of uh, their jobs. I mean, these are the same tactics at Starbucks that we've seen time and time again during this yeah. uh, response to the union campaign, which is like they they moved this uh, this this worker, uh, Naomi Goldstein, who was one of the lead organizers at the Newtonville location. And after they announced their intent to unionize at the store, she was moved to a different shift and saw her hours slashed. She was also told that she would not be able to take a leave of absence and would instead have to quit. She says, uh, she's not letting me take a leave of absence and making me quit right about the time that the union vote is happening when she knows that I'm a union organizer. There's all this new stuff going on. It feels targeted. They're trying to intimidate us. And it doesn't just feel targeted, my friend. It absolutely fucking Mm -hmm. is. This is the same thing that we've seen in Buffalo, Mesa, Memphis, and Denver. Like, Starbucks has a playbook for this kind of thing. And that, you know... I get it. Like when you're working and and you're in the situation, you're like, man, they can't, this can't possibly be them just like outright targeting me for being a union organizer. But that's absolutely what it is. You hit the nail right on the head when you said it feels targeted. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I mean, we've seen the same, we've we've gotten reports, you know, of the exact same tactics being used at other stores in the Boston area, like Mm -hmm. union organizers in Alston, Brookline, Cleveland circle, other Starbucks stores in the, the mass, like broader Massachusetts, but even more specifically the Boston area, they've all cited the exact same thing, dramatic rearrangement of shifts, huge cutbacks to hours for anybody who's identified as a union organizer to try and get them to quit or at the very least, you know, keep them out of the store as much as possible so they can bring in, you know, new people flood the store with management and, and, and try and dissuade folks from organizing. I mean, yeah. we have a, a, a quote in here from a worker at the Brookline location, Tyler Daguerre, who said, this really boils down to the heart of why we're unionizing. We need to guarantee that if we're full-time, we're going to be given those hours and we're going to have a living wage to back us up so we can actually work one job and pay rent with it. Yeah. Hell yeah. I mean, I feel like uh, just looking back on my firing from Starbucks, I'm just seeing so many parallels to to these organizers who have been retaliated against because we were in such awful conditions. I had talked about organizing with some of the workers, but also there were a lot of rats in that workplace. And mm-hmm. so I have a feeling that a lot of the retaliation against me was ramping up from that kind of unionizing uh, sort of rhetoric that I was throwing around. And so... Yeah, I, I, it's not even new. It's not even new to this union movement. Then, all and there's been the previous union movement that the IWW had been doing, and they experienced similar sorts of repression. I mean, Starbucks is not 
this is not a new thing to them. They no. are just doing class, doing a classic playbook. Well, they're fighting dirty and uh, they're fighting extremely hard, but they're losing this fucking fight Mm -hmm. (laughs) against the union movement, which is just so fucking awesome to see. Because like last Wednesday, that's March 23rd, uh, if you're listening to this later, workers at the Broadway and Denny store in Seattle became the seventh unionized Starbucks with a unanimous nine to zero vote. So, I mean, that's pretty huge. And the store being only 10 minutes away from Starbucks headquarters (laughs) strikes a blow pretty close to the heart of the whole enterprise you know yeah yeah i don't know if i've ever seen a unanimous vote i just want to repeat to everybody unanimous <laughs> nine zero yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's i mean i know like it's a like nine is a, is a, is a relatively small bargaining unit they had, sure. but they had three three abstentions right i believe so yeah so i mean yeah but even still yeah you almost never see like totally unanimous. But one of the things I thought was interesting was the workers at that store pointed out that, and that's one of the things that's so interesting about, you know, Starbucks workers United being a nationwide movement is because mm-hmm. while like it's rank and file. So it's the workers who are actually in the bargaining unit are the ones running their campaign, but because they're, you know, linked up through the workers United movement, they can see what's happening at all the other stores. And so the workers in Seattle were pretty quick to notice. They're like, you know, we're not really, getting hit nearly as hard uh, right. as some of the other stores. Like there was a quote here from Sidney Durkin, who's a shift supervisor at the store that just unionized, who said, there's a right side of history and a wrong side of history. And right now, Starbucks is on the wrong side of history. Union rights are civil rights. And Howard Schultz's old union busting tactics won't work here. Yeah. Hell yeah. A, it's great to see that. I mean, like, you know, if they were experiencing less repression, especially because if it was right there in Seattle, right. I can imagine the the very strong like community pushback. They didn't want to get the the whole community there rallying against Starbucks mm-hmm. in their hometown, and so you know they had to to pull back just a little bit in one space. But even then, I don't think that they really didn't. It's like these people didn't were not exempt from union busting. They might just not have you know seen the massive firings and and re. Um, and hour shifting and such that some of the other stores had seen. Well, and it's yeah. like dangerous when you try to fight a store that's in the hometown of your company, you know, because like those people have community support. They have friends and family and fellow students and everything in the city. And like when you have networks like that, the solidarity does spread a little bit faster. Plus, Seattleites love a fucking protest. They'll march right down to Starbucks <laughs> well, HQ. Seattleite, is it Seattleians or something? <laughs> is Seattleites correct? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm not sure. I, I do think, though, that, it, that that definitely plays a role because like... If a store is unionizing and face a Starbucks in Boston and Buffalo and any of these places and faces union repression, they might get talked about on the news, maybe. Mm -hmm. But if it's in where the headquarters is, where like Starbucks is a real power player in Seattle, it's a lot more likely for something like that to make the local press to become a big thing. So I think that probably played a role there is in their attempts to try and salvage whatever may be left of their so-called progressive, you know, image. But, and this doesn't even, this isn't the end of the, uh, the successful unionization stories on this episode. In mm. fact, it's just the beginning. Uh, two days later, in Mesa, Arizona, the eighth store to unionize came uh, from the Crimson and Southern location, voting 11 to 3 to join Starbucks United, Starbucks Workers United. Uh, yeah. yeah. And I mean, build, building the momentum, right? Yeah, and they deployed, like, workers reported the exact same 
tactics that we've seen across the country there. Like one of the baristas at this store, Haley Smith said, I've been working 30 hours a week usually for the past two years. Now I'm being cut down to 15 to 17 hours a week. A union will give us the power to talk to Starbucks on how these problems, these issues are affecting our work environment. Yeah. That's right. And then, Again, still not the end of the list because right before we started recording, we saw over at Merchants Drive Starbucks in Knoxville, Tennessee, the very first, uh, the very first Starbucks in the the southern area. I mean, I guess uh, Arizona is technically considered well, the, the southwest. The yeah, yeah, the southwest yeah. is a little different, but uh, yeah, in Knoxville, Tennessee, they won their vote eight to seven, and even though there's one contested. That ballot, which would be the would it would be a nine to seven, assuming this ballot uh, is, you know, uh, still ratified as a legal vote. Uh, we don't I mean, it doesn't matter a ton because it, even with that vote being thrown out, it's still eight to seven and they won their election. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, well, and this is a hu- really huge step because it it, uh, it opens a door uh, really wide that a lot of union organizers have been uh, afraid to walk through, which is organizing in the South, you know, the, the former Confederacy, because it's just perceived as being, like, too difficult <laughs> yeah. for some reason. Yeah, I mean, because part of it is that, like, look, right-to-work laws in the South do make it a little more difficult to organize there. And there's, uh, of course, but a big part of it, and we talked about this uh, somewhat on our our overtime series that's going on right now on um, the decline of American unionism generally, has been the refusal of a lot of unions when they do try and do a unionizing push to actually engage with the wor- the issues faced by workers, like de- confronting head-on the way that employers will try and use racism to split apart like the workers and and uh, traditionally a lot of unions have been really reluctant to do that and to engage with the community and i think this is highlighting though one of the real advantages of the rank and file method that the workers united team is is building because it's not that they're bringing in you know, union organizers from outside the area to run the campaign and just like drop a cookie cutter, like pre-made campaign that they've got from somewhere else on there. It's the workers at that store in Knoxville are the ones who were running the the campaign. And sure, it was very close. It was a very close vote, but just getting that stage, getting over the line and getting a unionized store in an area that has been traditionally so difficult to unionize, I think is a huge win should hopefully be inspirational to workers in stores in the South who may have thought, well, okay, they're getting union wins in Buffalo, in some of these Northern cities, but like the climate down here is so anti-union i'm not sure if we should even file well now that you've got a win in knoxville along with all the other places in the south that have you know petitioned for a union vote i think that 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 there's a good chance that that is going to see a new spate of more union petitions in the south because it's just that tent post that shows this type of organizing that actually invests in the workers running the drive themselves can Mm -hmm. win even in the harshest environments absolutely yeah and then moving back to the teachers uh, striking 
We're going to be heading over to Sacramento, where over 4,600 teachers, educators, bus drivers, cafeteria cafeteria workers, custodians, and other support staff went on strike last week, demanding that the district increase their pay to keep up with the soaring inflation and to resolve short staffing issues that have left existing teachers and other workers completely overwhelmed. Uh, Strike covers 76 schools and over 43,000 students and is the first strike in this district since 1989. It's so fucking badass. All those numbers are wild. That's that's a big list of numbers that are really encouraging. Absolutely. I mean, it's so cool to see this. I know it's not possible for every, you know, workplace, for every set of like you know, people who work in a school in particular because of the way that the the legality works out in some situations. But like to have every single fucking person in the building who answers to the management of the school, every fu- like there's there's not even a random you know, gym teacher to drive the bus. There's not even a fucking janitor left in the building. (laughs) That's how you make some fucking progress. (laughs) Like when a tumbleweed can roll through the school. It also is just such a great way to like it, it builds class consciousness because when you actually get, when you, when you see these sorts of things, you see that the teachers are striking for fundamentally a lot of the same reasons that the cafeteria workers, mm-hmm. that the janitors, that like all the these other support workers have, all the they they all have fundamentally the same class interest here. And there's you know there's differences for sure between each one of the positions. There are specifics that you got to strike for for each one of those things. But to have all those folks standing shoulder to shoulder together on the same picket line, yeah, that that shit rules. It's like that that is such a, an important thing here and. The other thing, though, that I think is wild about this story, which this is another strike that I've not seen very much national coverage on, um, which is, again, like, this is, is 4,600 teachers this is the capital of California. Like, this is a big mm-hmm. strike. But, of course, nope, we're not going to cover that in the mainstream news. But, like, so, I mean, this is being led by the Sacramento City Teachers Association and SEIU local 1021, which the SEIU represents like the rest of the support staff. But the thing that's crazy about this, and I think also goes to sort of this weird way in which time has sort of changed since the pandemic started, Mm. is that they're striking now, but the SEIU workers contracts expired in June of 2020. And the teachers contracts expired in June of 2019. And the district has refused to bargain in good faith for two and three years for these two contracts. And so, you know, these folks have for the past couple of years been like, okay, yeah, it's a pandemic. Things are exceptional. We'll keep working, but you know, you also need to negotiate. And finally, after all this time, there's like, okay, you guys are just going to keep trying to string this out here and not actually come back to the table. Fuck you. (laughs) We're actually going on strike. I mean, there's been a prediction that there's going to be a big rise in teachers' actions over the next year or two. And I think that watching the Minneapolis teachers stand in solidarity so strong and be like, wow, that could be us. Mm-hmm. What if it? W- what if that was us? And fingers pointing together. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, and I mean, even the, even the union representing the principals and the administrators, the management union, the United Public Employees, they came out after the the, the announcement of the strike authorization because they're not a they're not a part of the strike, but they, their organization came out and were like. 
Yeah, so the not we, we don't all support the strike, but the leadership in Sacramento School District is fucked. And they, they had like a 70% no confidence vote in the Sacramento superintendent, Jorge Aguilar, who is like, you know, one of the management officials leading the negotiations from the, the district's point of view. And even I think the, the numbers got up to like 40% of the principals and other management supported the teachers striking, which that's <laughs> like, yeah, you'd, you'd prefer it was everyone, but that's pretty high for for admins at yeah. least in the the stuff that i've seen when when even the petty bourge turn on you you have really fucked up <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean we're seeing it more and more cuz i do think that what we've talked about through a lot of these uh you know intensification of labor is the proletarianization of these pre- previously prestigious positions and uh i mean i don't exactly know what specific conditions are for for those those particular you know staff members but uh i can just if i'm to generalize about what we've seen in many other industries it is definitely people being like you know what i feel like i'm a lot closer in class to the people who are out there on strike than i am to these assholes who are blocking them yeah well yeah, and I mean, I mean if you're if you're an administrator a lot of the times like you can tolerate mistreatment of workers you can tolerate abuse of of institutional privilege you can tolerate negligence of students but one thing you can't tolerate is gross visible mismanagement that just gets under your skin <laughs> and i feel like when the, the principals and the vice principals abuse <laughs> yeah i know right <laughs> yeah but they, they they're like well we don't care about any of this important stuff but like you just you're visibly fucking up man and it's well, making and, us all look bad i mean a, a a big part of this cuz you know like the teachers are obviously striking partially because of low pay which is a universal feature of being a teacher in this country it's right. disgraceful um that and of course you know with especially with rising inflation soaring rents like it's it's become very difficult to survive on a teacher's salary and and, and crappy benefits but the other thing that, like, there's a couple other big points that they're fighting for here, which is one that they didn't get any additional compensation for working all the way through the pandemic and haven't had input to the district's COVID policies, which is one of the things that they're fighting for with this strike. But the other big thing that they're fighting about is once again that issue that we talk about with everything, which is that short staffing because the the district has lowered pay rates and benefits and enough that there are huge shortages of staff at, at these, these schools in the district. Like the district is currently short 250 teachers, a hundred substitutes and 400 classified staff positions for jobs, such as school bus drivers, custodians and instructional aides. Like, and this is like, that may not like, yeah, there's 4,600 people on strike. So a couple hundred vacancies may not seem that huge but to put it in context what that results in is that because of those shortages 10,000 students every day in their district have a class that they go to that isn't staffed by a full-time position that has to be staffed by a sub mm. every day because of how many vacancies there are in the district yeah. yeah well and i mean i wonder what could be causing those vacancies could it be the low rate of pay that they're not <laughs> willing to budge on could it be the general mistreatment of their staff or and let me just float this one out there does nobody want to work anymore <laughs> <laughs> yeah oh my gosh that that we 
before we started recording, Dan and I, and I, when John jumped in, we were talking about that and just like, you know, these con- the conditions for all of these these situations in working are just appalling. And even if you were trying to get a job in certain cases, they're like not actually trying to hire people. Mm-hmm. They're really not putting out any exceptional effort. There's a, a job ad out there that they're going to, you know, ignore. Um, it's, yeah. it's, it's appalling. Yeah. And, one of the things that, I, that is interesting about this strike in particular, so as part of the negotiations, and this is, I think, one of the best illustrations that the district is not acting in good faith, and it's not just the teachers saying that, that they're 100% right. Uh, I mean, I would believe them anyway, but like, if you wanted evidence <laughs> that the district is negotiating in bad faith, as part of the negotiations, they had an independent panel, which whenever there's an independent panel, an arbitrator, a mediator... They're going to favor management pretty much every time. Now, that's a third party. (laughs) (laughs) I've I've seen a lot of things labeled third party. Those are third parties. (laughs) Yes, exactly. So as part of their negotiations, they brought in an independent panel to look at the union's proposal for the contract and the district's proposal for the contract. And the report came in, and they're like, yeah, no, the the teachers are right. What the fuck have y'all been doing? (laughs) they, they agreed with the teacher's COVID policy concerns. They, re- they recommended a cost-of-living-based raise for all educators. They recommended against the district's proposal, and this is the sort of thing we have seen so many times, this sort of bullshit, where they're like, okay, you say you need a raise. We get it. We'll give you a raise. We'll do that by cutting your health care benefits. <laughs> and Bro, so like- the, the fact-finding report... And again, this is something like, I mean, this is very much business lingo, but again, is not the sort of thing I would usually expect to see from the quote unquote third party where they said it is counterintuitive to expect that proposals to shift healthcare costs to employees or to freeze wages for several years would help any employer recruit and retain staff. <laughs> I mean, goddamn! this one goes out to Jorge Aguilar, superintendent <laughs> of the Sacramento School District, bro arbitration and the management union turned on you how (laughs) bad of a fucking job are you doing (laughs) i know it's it is insane like you never because that's the thing almost every single time we've covered a story where they talk about they brought in an arbitrator they brought in a mediator they brought in a third party all those people do is they come in and they rubber stamp Mm -hmm. the district's proposals and maybe they take one or two little like things that the 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 union wants that's way down their list and they're like yeah okay we'll throw these in there as a concession but they've let like the management of the sacramento school district has let this situation get so bad that even the pro management third party is like you guys got to fix this and you can't just pay for raises by cutting health insurance that doesn't make sense that's not a real way (laughs) raise yeah and uh, we have a, a quote here from teacher uh, Belen Moreno, who said, My students and coworkers have inspired me. My students deserve the very best from their teachers, which means their teachers have to be treated like humans. A stronger contract would provide us with enough security, a fair salary that reflects the market, to allow me to catch my breath and refocus spend more time teaching than figuring out how to live on month-to-month pay uh, and attract more qualified teachers to the district that is suffering from a shortage. Like, 
you know, it's a good sentiment. I think that uh, it might show how uh, some of the ideology in the area is leading them to think that they should be uh, focusing uh, on on like, you know, just this hiring shortage and all that. And not so much on the fact that, you know, their work conditions are awful. Uh, but I mean, like they are definitely still bringing that up as a, a very strong point as to why they are even on strike in the first place. Yeah, and and I mean we've got we've got a quote here from a a bus driver from the district, Olivia Miner, who said things are getting out of control. I have to call more and more parents to say their bus route is getting canceled because there isn't enough staffing. Which like that's that would- wild. Like it's not just that you know people are working uh, like unnecessarily long hours and. People are having to pull extra shifts. It's literally just we don't have enough drivers. We're canceling bus routes. Come pick up your kids or get an Uber or something. Yeah, and which is unsustainable for many people, especially mm-hmm. with such the high cost of living that goes on in this in this area. I mean, just thinking of, I mean, not in the, this particular high cost area, but I've got family who you know it's a thirty minute walk or a fifteen minute walk to the bus route. And then the bus route is going to save you 10 minutes. Uh, even then, like, it leads kids to just stay home. And if you really yeah. want to keep education going, you have to get these routes out there to where the people are. Yeah, and, and I mean, they, they even point out that the, the, the pay and the, and the shitty benefits have been so bad that 25% of the district's bus drivers have quit in the last year and a half, which, that's an enormous quit rate. Like, that's wild like i i don't know that i've seen that high of a quit rate at uh, any of the stories we've covered uh and 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 but you know so of course in response to this you know thousands of teachers and, and and workers hitting the picket line and the even the union of of principals and administrators coming out and saying hey this we're not doing the right stuff here we got to correct our course so of course the district has said, oh, all right, we got we to gotta admit that we made some mistakes and we're going to come back to the... Te- oh, wait, no. Uh, that's not what they did. Uh, of course, we're getting the <laughs> same line from the school district that we get every time we, get, we see public employees go on strike, which is, we just Shame don't have any teachers. money. Yeah. 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 So we, we got a statement. For many years, our district has struggled to balance our budget. This struggle goes back decades over many past boards of education and superintendents. For too long, our district has committed to ongoing costs that are greater than ongoing revenues that our district receives from the state and federal governments. Oh, my God. So what are you doing? Are you getting the fucking districts to get more money? Or are you just saying, oh, yeah, put it into the police budget? Right. Yeah, well, and also, like, the underhanded, like, smearing of responsibility over decades and decades of superintendents and school boards to be like, uh, we just inherited a bad situation. Mm-hmm. It's like, eh, maybe it, uh, you inherited the bad situation because it's set up to be given to people who will make the worst of it. <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, and it, and it's honestly a purposeful system of of disenfranchising students and people in the community so that they can do things like give money to the police departments because they don't want to give it to the parts of the um the 
uh, state where they're actually supporting people, they want to put it in the repressive state apparatus. And so mm-hmm. by disenfranchising people, you're going to put people more in the in you know the the fringes of society where they're more likely to end up having to resort to stealing or this or that. Which then oh everybody pushes oh look at all this crime we need the police. It's like dude, keep the kids in school, give the schools more money, put their put more money in food programs. That's how you actually avoid those situations in the first place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, so of course, you know, the, the, the strike has now gone on for just over a week and there's the unions, the, the, the district has said, well, you know, look, we don't have anything to, co- we, we made a proposal and the, the union hasn't said no to it. And the union came back and said, we have this party. Well, we have this report from a third party the you know the fact finding group and we think most of their recommendations are right you agreed to this third party report you should look at this report <laughs> and so the the district has been trying to avoid that the mayor of Sa- i thought this was interesting the mayor of sacramento daryl steinberg said he supports the teachers he came out he visited the picket lines but of course he's got to have the you know sort of mealy mouth both sides thing here to to cover his his donors where he's got where he said he hopes the strike ends soon because, quote, so long as management and labor continue to be at loggerheads and these kind of disputes fester and fester year after year, the kids are the ones that are going to get hurt. Mm-hmm. Right. Exactly what I said. They're going to they're blaming the teachers. Mm-hmm. Like, really, if you're concerned about these kids getting what they need, then you put the fucking money in the goddamn pockets of these of the people who need it. Like, yeah, that. That was one of the things, though, that that really bugged me, I think, about the response from the state in both this this case here in Sacramento, but also in Minneapolis, because you have a total like Democratic governor or well, Democratic like leadership in like the mayor in Sacramento, in in most of the levels of government in in Minnesota. And you have these officials coming out saying, yeah, we, we support the teachers. I'm just like. You are in government. You are in the positions of power. You can change this right now. You have the ability to go in there and give them more money and meet their demands. And instead, you're coming out there and be like, we stand with you, but we're not actually going to do anything about it. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, so we really hope that, you know, this, this strike, that these, these workers in these teachers in Sacramento are able to get Sacramento's intransigent leadership to actually acknowledge the criticism they are getting from every other quarter and come back and actually agree to a real contract that has real gains in it and addresses these incredibly important staffing shortages. And so we're going to move on to our next story now, which is uh, we're uh, moving over from California over to Chicago, where there is a strike going on for about two weeks now at Chicago's PBS affiliate, WTTW, where technicians at the station who are, you know, the ones who actually are doing the behind-the-camera work that are actually making sure that all these, the programs that their PBS uh, affiliate there, WTTW, that, that that stuff actually gets made, who are all members of IBEW, the, the you know, electrical workers, local 1220 they have been on strike for the last two weeks. They've, they've been negotiating for nearly a year. But as usual, the management of, of, of the PBS station has, been, has refused to budge. And, and the reason that I really wanted to highlight this story, because it's like, well, it's, it's like, you know, it's a couple, of, it's a couple dozen tech techs at a TV station. Like, is that necessarily the big upsurge of labor struggle right now? But part of, a big, one of their main demands 
and this is something that we don't see as much, you know, highlighted in a lot of our, our labor struggles that we cover on the show is control of how the division of labor is performed on the job. Because one of the single biggest contract demands that these workers have been fighting over and trying to get negotiated for over a year is that the station over the past few years has been trying, has been creeping and encroaching on what was previously in their contract that defined what was union labor and what was non-union labor. And so, uh, of course, as management is always wont to do, even if they're at a seemingly, you know, nice and friendly place like a PBS station, is if, if they can find a way to get around the contract and use cheap non-union labor for stuff, they're going to try and do it every time. And, and so this station in particular, their management has been repeatedly over and over again trying to get around their union contract, try and replace union work with non-union work. And so these workers finally, after you know almost a, almost a year of, of negotiating and getting nowhere on this issue, said, okay, fine. We need to show you that this is a critical issue for us. This is an existential like ability for us to continue to do our jobs if, if, if is to control like what labor that we actually do. And so they've been on the picket lines for the last two weeks over this. Right. Yeah. I mean, and, and you see that in this statement from uh, IBEW Local 1220 business manager, John Rizzo which is a badass name. And uh, I have to imagine that he's a, a really big Chicago guy, you know, so I guess I'll do it in the voice where he says, uh, they're proposing to send work out of house. They want to bring in the cheapest content they can find, put everything on air and see what sticks. We have editors here eight hours a day, often more, but management still wants to be able to hire outside ed- editors. The only reason they could give was flexibility. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, and, I mean, thank you, uh, Dub Airs guy, uh, <laughs> John Rizzo, for that excellent explanation. Because this is, I think, another place where we see the importance of seeing through, uh, like, sort of vague, nice-sounding topical words like flexibility mm-hmm. and how often that is used to sound like a good thing for workers when what it's usually doing is Asking further exploitation. I've never yeah. once been at a job and been like, wow, I wish this work situation was more flexible. <laughs> I, <laughs> right? I usually just think like, wow, I wish I had today off. <laughs> right? Or, or like, oh, wow, wouldn't it be nice to have a set schedule where I could actually plan my fucking life? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And so like, th- I, I, I do think that it's important to highlight this sort of fight because this is the sort of thing that, you know, we used to see strikes over a lot more, you know, b- back 40, 50, 60 years ago, the, uh, over control of the shop floor. Because once you give that up, the control over the division of labor, it becomes so easy for management to just say, well, we got to use non-con, you know, the, the times are tough. We got to, we got to go out of house to do this stuff and this stuff and this stuff. And then suddenly after, you know, a few years, that number of good union jobs at that facility has dwindled and dwindled and dwindled and been replaced by non-union labor. And that has been exactly what the management at this station has been trying to do over the last few years. Like, uh, specifically, the attacks on union work have really ramped up since 2018 when the station got a new president, Sandra Michek, who has, in, since taking over the station, 
has tried to buy out older union employees and then replace them with cheaper non-union labor. <laughs> and since taking over in, in 2018, the union has since won four arbitration grievances against the station for not using non-union labor, which is, again, pr- tells you how, how bad it is because arbitration, as always, favors management. So if the union is winning these over and over again, these arbitration grievances, it shows you like how obvious and and blunt the mm-hmm. the management at this station are being about just trying to reduce the amount of good union work that they're able to get well and right. like, what does the station have to say about it like just yeah. boilerplate shit where their 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 statement is just the same pablum lorem ipsum anti-union crap <laughs> you hear from every yeah. fucking company we work in a rapidly changing industry bringing our ibew contract up to date to ensure that it is comparable with other media contracts across the city and country is imperative will allow us to no and <laughs> just will allow <laughs> us to use current and future technology and will protect jobs. You you're lying. You're a liar. <laughs> if yes. they tell you they're protecting jobs, it means that they're trying to like make your job shittier, which is always part of the long-term plan to do the opposite of protect jobs. Like, yeah. It's, we it's live simultaneously so at the end of history and the rapidly changing history at the exact same time. Everything's <laughs> fine, but nothing's fine at the same time. And so we need to do a lot of bad things to the workers, but you know what? They're going to be fine. You know, but you know, this is just about uh, protecting the technologies, you know? Yeah. I'm surprised <laughs> they didn't like try to invoke Ukraine or something. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so what these workers are fighting for is really important. Like, this is the way that you keep these jobs good. Mm -hmm. It's like it's the way that you make sure that being a technician, like a a TV tech, maybe you're a camera person, maybe you're an editor, maybe you're a producer, like whatever the 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 job title is, that that is a a good job that provides a living wage, solid benefits, and it, it, it's actually a good place to work because without those union protections, you just turn everything into fucking contract labor, and yep. then everything is hell. Well, <laughs> yeah. and the price, like, look, take a look at the price of living in Chicago sometime. <laughs> it's pretty fucking high. <laughs> yeah. Well, and apparently this is the first strike that this station has had in the 67-year history of it existing. Yeah. I mean, like, that that should show you where they are. I mean, sure, uh, we've been... we just went over uh, how a lot of like business unionism has done a lot of concessionary contracts. Well, this is where they've ended up to, you know, 67 years later where suddenly they're like, all right, we need to actually fight. We need to, we need to put, put our heels in at this point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and so uh, this has forced the station to shut down its, its nightly hour long program, Chicago tonight and switch to running re- like pre-recorded reruns of stuff. Uh, they have apparently, I was like trying to read of like, if they have been able to bring in scabs or anything, they've, they've apparently been able to do some shorter half hour versions of the show, but it basically sounds like they're really struggling to use their flexibility to bring in non-union <laughs> labor to replace these experienced technicians. It's just 
little weird. Well, yeah. and it's also interesting. Hmm. I know no labor is unskilled labor, obviously, but like this kind of labor is extremely specifically skilled labor. Like even if you did manage to bring in people who were relatively capable at doing these jobs, there's no guarantee they would understand the gear or the programs or mm-hmm. the equi- the specific equipment that they have to work with to do to fill the position. Yeah, yeah, I don't even know what level of technology they're they're using, but so many of these places end up using ancient technology that mm-hmm. people aren't even trained in anymore. Yeah. Um, so, anyways, you know, solidarity with these workers. I hope they are able to get everything they're fighting for and protect, you know, the good union work that they've been doing for the past sixty-seven years. Absolutely. But, so for our big story this week, we go uh, all the way back to some of our biggest old stories where, you know, like I think one of our early uh, overtime style episodes was was based on this when we went into the India general strike. Uh, that was, was it, that was 2020, right? Was that, I, right? Am I wrong? Right. Because the, uh, yeah, the original no, strike yeah, was, was. 2020. <laughs> it was yeah, 2020. Yeah. Just losing track of time it, now. Uh, but there's another one. We got a, we got another general strike in India, and this one uh, is organized in uh, in a way actually similar to that of what we described. And I know I keep going back to the newest overtime episode that we just did, but it <laughs> fucking rocks, and you really should become a patron. Uh, where there has been a giant coalition of organizations, trade unions, and such, who have called on uh, workers across India to do this two-day general strike, which actually is currently still ongoing. Yeah. I mean, this is... This is one of those was one of those stories that always makes it, it puts me in awe of the scale of the class struggle in India because this is a strike of literally hundreds of millions of people, mm-hmm. uh, which is just... It, it's wild to think about that you know and this was called by as you said like a a joint forum of of nearly every single trade union federation in india and it's specifically to protest what they've called the anti-worker anti-farmer anti-people and anti-national policies of the modi government they they've organized they at least 25 protest centers across the the country where they've gathered workers for rallies discussions creative performances and all while, you know, bringing out their estimates are over 200 million workers. Holy fucking sh- That's almost three quarters of the U.S. population. Yeah. It, I, I mean, we'll, it'll, it's going to take a few days to really, you know, look at the, the numbers because this is, this is just wrapping up in India right now as we're recording. But like this, it's, it's, it's going to be up there on one of the single biggest strikes in world history, if, if not the largest. And as you were saying, like Lena, the, the number of, of groups that are involved in this is staggering because like the sectors that this covers, because again, this is a real general strike because yeah. it covers things such as banking, insurance, roadways, transport, railways, coal, steel, oil, copper, telecom, electrical workers, even the defense sector. Yeah, just uh, we need the photo of of Wacko of the Animaniacs be- taking a deep <laughs> breath in front of a map. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So th- for for my attempt to read all this list of some of the major, this is just some of the big organizations that 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 called the strike, including the Hind Mazdoor Sabha, Center of Indian Trade Unions, the Indian National Trade Union Congress, the All India Trade Union Congress, the Self Employed Women's Association, All India United Trade Union Center, Trade Union Coordination Center, All India Central Council. 
of Trade Unions, Labor Progressive Federation, and the United Trade Union Congress, which that is a lot of acronyms. But like when you see that, like, because again, those are not just like individual unions. Those are all union federations. Like these are all huge organizations all coming together around this like one major struggle against the policies of the Modi government. Wow. This really takes me back to all the times people have told me that you can't have a general strike in the U.S. because it's too big and there's too (laughs) many people in it. And meanwhile, here's a general strike in a country that has a seventh of the world's population in it. Mm hmm. Yeah. Yeah. it's, It's incredible. Well, yeah, and this has been kind of in response to similar to what was happening during the farmer's strike because of the BJP's government rapidly privatizing a lot of the state assets through a program called the National Monetization Pipeline. It's a a pipeline for privatization. We don't even, we can like, if you've been on the internet, you're like, oh, it's the this to that pipeline. They literally put it in the goddamn name, folks. (laughs) Yeah, and, and and this is a a program via which like the 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 BJP led government has been leasing enormous amounts of public assets for private companies to profit off of, including uh, like big sectors of what was previously the public sector, like roads, railways, power systems, oil and gas pipelines, telco companies, civil aviation, shipping ports, waterways, mining, food distribution coal all of these things and and so this has formed really one of the core demands of the strike which is to stop this privatization pipeline as they, they'll even call it in the in the government and to stop giving away public assets to giant corporate interests for just for them to profit off of giving nothing back you know to the people who really own those resources to get into what like because i mean when you call a general strike of hundreds of millions of people like it, there's a there's going to be a there's a whole list of, of, of demands and and, and so because a big part of it is to stop this privatization but some of the other key points are scrapping several recent labor codes that were put into place as well as the essential defense services act which is like a bill that basically allows them to ban strikes at defense platforms and and has a really broad definition of what defense services is um, so it's kind of a backdoor way of just attacking labor, uh, unions everywhere and, and labeling it under national security, which boy, that's not something we've seen here in the U S before. Wow. <laughs> I mean, it's, I mean, actually that's, that's a big part of, uh, basically, I mean, I don't want to say just Taft Hartley, but like mostly other sorts of like, uh, anti-strike clauses within, yeah. uh, the federal government, uh, even on just like basic services, uh, base saying that they are essential to this or that, and that if we stopped them, then we need to punish the workers who are striking, and and how absolute yeah. bullshit that is. They're also demanding the the end of privatization and scrapping the the national monetization pop- pipeline. They are demanding a an increase of like social security and and and, and welfare support to non income tax paying households, aka very very like households in poverty. And at, so demanding food and income support of seventy five hundred rupees per month to those folks. An increased allocation for the MN Rega program, which like I looked had to look into that to what that is. That is a there's a program in India that is a rural jobs guarantee where if you live in a rural area where it, it's a program that guarantees at least a hundred days of wage employment to at least one member of every household so that it's, it's like, it's a, it's a program to provide jobs to workers. And so what they're demanding is expand that program 
increase the amount that it's paid and don't just confine it to the rural areas where it is needed, but also expand the program to urban areas because there's a ton of, of urban poor in India too who could benefit. And of course, you know, these sorts of programs then provide benefits to the public as well. Uh, and the, and the other thing, the last thing on their demands that I really love to see, which is they specifically put in there that one of their demands is for the government to accept the six-point charter of demands from the Samyutka Kisan Morcha, which is one of the leading farmers' organizations that has been leading the struggle it, both during the farmer strike and then the, the, the next phase of the struggle that we've talked about before, fighting for guaranteed minimum prices for crops so that small farmers can continue to exist and, and you know, not get destroyed if there's a bad harvest. So putting in their list of demands that this is not purely a, you know, proletarian, like workers struggle. It's also demanding what the farmers are asking for. And so linking the farmer and worker struggle in this is, I think one of the, the really most inspiring and, and, and best parts of this strike is, is the acknowledgement that Fundamentally, the, the, the working classes, whether they toil on in, in agricultural labor or in a factory or as a contractor, that they're all fighting for the same interests. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, we have a quote here um, from Salim, uh, who is a member of uh, Auto Rickshaw Drivers Union, the, the CITU, uh, said, Daily increasing fuel charges and rising inflation push commoners to great distress. All of us are together in this. Every auto rickshaw driver that I know agrees with the cause of the two-day strike. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, the CITU, that's the one with the, with the ham sick in the flag, right? Yeah, that's one of the, <laughs> the big union federations associated with uh, the Communist Party, uh, CPIM, so like Marxist. Every major union federation is participating in this, in this strike except for one the barat yes. mazdor saying which is literally run by the bjp <laughs> mm-hmm. so the rest of them are participating in the strike under the slogan save the people save the nation including the public transport workers who are participating in this this strike despite the fact that it could uh lead to the invocation of the essential service maintenance act which would technically ban them from striking although it's enforced unevenly yeah and 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 they did even specifically come out and they said look we want everybody to participate in this except you know Mm -hmm. like we do still need certain things to function. And so they said, look, if you work in a hospital, if you drive an ambulance, if you run a pharmacy, if, if you like, you know, if you, if you produce milk or basic food goods like that, you don't, we are not asking every single person who provides goods that, you know, regular working people need every day. We need the hospitals to still be open. So we're mm-hmm. not asking you to shut those down. And so those people were, you know, exempt from a call for the strike. And, so like this is, you know, this has just been going on over the last two days. So I, I didn't have a chance to pull all sorts of stories from this, but they like the, the leadership from the, the joint platform did state after yesterday, after the first day of the strike that quote, the participation crossed 200 million facing all odds, uh, the essential service maintenance act, intimidation and obstructions of all kinds, including the high handedness of police in some cases and a high court order in Kerala prohibiting the strike for government employees. And there, I like because I was reading like NewsClick as always is a fantastic source for for any of this anything that's going on in India. Great, great English language news source. And they, they there were just too many examples in there to really throw in here of of just you're seeing 
in giant cities, like 60, 80, 90% of major industries completely shut down a hundred percent in some cases. So like it, it's been a, a huge, uh, outcome outpouring of support for the strike there. And, and, and this is in spite of the fact that you've seen in some cases, as they mentioned, like all sorts of repression from the police trying to prevent workers from blockading, like the factories that they're, they're, they're striking at. But you know, when <laughs> When you get 200 million people out there, like there's only so much <laughs> that even a really heavily armed police force can do, which is part of what's so powerful about this sort of a demonstration. And and so like just one, there was one other statement from the CITU that I think is does a great job of summarizing what's been going on for this, where they said, the huge success of the two days general strike is an unambiguous warning to the Modi-led BJP government, gloating over its recent electoral victories, that the workers and toiling people of this country are not going to tolerate its pro-corporate and pro-super-rich neoliberal policies that enrich those exploiters by putting unbearable burdens on the toiling masses, that it cannot go ahead handing over the country's wealth and resources, including natural resources to the big corporates domestic and foreign yeah absolutely and i mean i over here in the united states we miss uh we miss a lot of uh the that sort of perspective because honestly we are so neoliberalized that we just accept that that is the way that everything works but honestly we should be educating our unions and our people over here to the exact reasons why we need to be pushing back towards worker-owned industries and and get away from this this neoliberal model in our own right and and to support these workers and and all of these people out there in the general strike in india to for for their um efforts against that those neoliberal policies yeah and I mean, if you've ever wanted an example of why solidarity strikes are banned in the U.S., this is why. Because this is the sort of thing that you can do with solidarity across unions, is you can, you can have this sort of thing. And that's why, you know, if, if we can get the labor movement back to even a slightly more empowered position, why it may be necessary to, to ignore those uh, bans on, on solidarity strikes in the future. Yeah. But, yeah, as always, really inspiring stuff coming out of India, stuff that we should always be watching because, you know, as we mentioned before, like the class struggle is is really moving <laughs> in, 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 in India. And it's such a big country. It's so important to the global economy. And, and so there's a lot we can learn from the people's struggles there. And so speaking yeah. of places where we can learn... <laughs> <laughs> We're going to the meme review, folks. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, we got so many stories. We're actually, I mean, like, we're we're overloaded this this week, and uh, we're gonna have to. We're, these these episodes are gonna are probably gonna end up staying long for as as we keep having to push stuff into the next weeks. Uh, it's crazy. Uh, like union organizing just keeps fucking happening. And like, <laughs> at first you're a little frustrated when you're trying to put together the show, and then you're like, "Wow, what a wonderful problem to have!" <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, uh, not a wonderful problem to have is this first meme, uh, which this is the uh, one of our our uh, you know I guess media stars of the last week, Will Smith. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, in, Did, why am I in, seeing in, Will in Smith so much again? What year is it? Is it 1990 <laughs> something again? Like, this actually, this meme came up before the the slapping incident. But uh, yeah, this is him in Men in Black uh, with what is this actor's name? 
the um, Tommy Lee Jones. Tommy Lee Jones and uh, them holding up the for, forget little flashy thing. Uh, <laughs> the neuralizer. Say, the neuralizer and the the tag on this one and says, uh, "Covid is over. You love Ukraine now." And just like <laughs> so true. Uh, how how much like. Like, sure, if you are in, like, left circles or, you know, you might get a little bit of a passing story from uh, a mainstream news article. But for the most part, COVID is just not even talked about anymore. Yet, you know, cases are are on the are, are like are not being counted. So I guess we wouldn't even know if they were on the rise or not. But uh, it's estimated that that's not good. But well, uh, and isn't there like a new fucking variant coming out of Europe right now as well? Yeah, uh, yeah, we're on the well. It's a it's a variant of Omicron that is even more infectious. But don't worry, folks. We cut all the funding for testing, so you don't have to worry about hearing about it on the news. Oh right. yeah, and now, and the White House ran out of money to to provide testing services for free, among other things, because uh, Congress like conveniently forgot to approve the fund. <laughs> like it's a clown well, show. It's a, a fucking huge, clown show. <laughs> yeah, well there's a huge increase to the defense budget uh for mm. it, it justified by the Ukrainian war. Mm. Yeah. I mean it's it's <sighs> wild how you know the US came out there, they set up the conditions to lure Russia into this war, sent, you know, funneled billions of dollars of weapons into Ukraine for years, and then the war happens and they're just like Sorry, y'all. You're all just gonna have to tighten your belts and eat some lentils. We got to spend fifty billion dollars on new nukes. Yeah, just yeah. like hot dog suit. <laughs> We're all looking for the guy who did this. <laughs> yeah, and it's like you can't blame us. It's all Putin's fault. Remember, everybody, it's not our fault. There and can only be one bad guy in a given situation. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then in our next meme, we've got this uh, this cat with with uh, very sad eyes laying, and a ghost of the cat coming out above it in a very uh, uh, Elden Ring style <laughs> slouch. Yeah. Uh, and uh, it says, uh, depression magically leaving my body after attending one mandatory HR session on managing burnout scheduled during my lunch break. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I, I actually did, uh, like, try to use some in-house uh, mental health services at one of my jobs a long time ago. They were like, we offer this. And I was like, hey, I'm burned out. Uh, and <laughs> they literally, like, taught me deep breathing exercises. <laughs> Motherfucker, I know deep breathing exercises. <laughs> I was in gym class in elementary school. I got this. <laughs> yeah. I yeah. mean, it, you, know, you know how to actually reduce stress and burnout. Reduce work. Wow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Wild. No, what if, we, what if we told you to attend this training that we're not going to pay you for? <laughs> in, the, in the few minutes that you might have to not, you know, be quite so focused on whatever your boss is screaming at you about well, that day. And even if they do uh, do have it on the clock or whatever, what they do is they just are like, all right, so we're going to uh, pull most of the people off the floor. We're going to leave the bare minimum out there for those people to be super, you know, to have super intense working conditions. And then you're going to come back and everything's going to be behind and you're going to have to rush and you're just going to any, any sort of progress that you could have possibly made through this awful corporate intervention is going to be moot. It's going to not exist. I honestly don't look to corporations for your mental health. Nah. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, well, yeah, I mean, we've seen what's the, the, the corporate answer is the Amazon booth. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> yeah. exactly. I love getting uh, this, mental health advice from the people who keep calling me when I'm not at work. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> this yeah. next one I find to be very important because I am so tired of, of well, here, I'll just read the meme. Uh, it says... Uh, if you say shit like humans are horrible and children are annoying and love isn't real, I'm fucking stealing something from your house. <laughs> honestly, the whole like like uh, mi- misanthropic notion that humans are the problem or something like that really belies the actual fact that a lot of these things stem from class relations. In fact, almost all of the problems that are going on stem from class relations, and it is not the working class who are making your life shitty. Well, like, I mean, it's true. Like, there's just so many people out there who are like, man, everything is fucked up. And it's like, yeah, first step, correct. And then they're like, you know, there's so many places you can go after that where it's like, you know, you could be racist and and blame it on people's race or you could, like, discriminate against a certain religion or whatever. But then if you're like, well, I'm not racist, I'm not bigoted, whatever, sometimes the, the, like, sensible seeming option is it must be everyone <laughs> it's like no 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 no. there there are some people who are fucking this up for all of us but and, and you can find them by going to where the largest amounts of money and control over means of production are yeah, yeah. and i mean like sure kids can be annoying but like hating children there are people out there who just hate children like they're kids like you were a fucking kid I'm sorry. I just don't have any sympathy for that shit. Because honestly, we're out here fighting for all people to have a better life. And uh, honestly, I'm I'm done with that shit. I mean, the whole like humanity is the virus and the planet is just healing itself. Like, shut the fuck, fuck off. You fucking, <laughs> off. you fucking Malthusian motherfucking wolves in the throne room t-shirt ass. <laughs> <laughs> Shouts out to the ten percent of people who laughed at that one. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Wolves in my throne room? It's more likely than you think. I uh, mean, that is <laughs> one of the cooler names. Yeah, for a black metal band, <laughs> it is cool. But it's also like, and also they're a black metal band, so you gotta wonder: Are they racist? <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, you always have to look that up. Yeah. But so. Our, our next meme is a very simple two panel from SpongeBob. You've got you've got Patrick in front of you know a crowd at the Krusty Krab pointing. Take the concept of democracy <laughs> and apply it to the workplace. <laughs> very simple, and I I just love it because you can definitely hear him saying it when even just reading it. <laughs> And it's so true, because honestly, uh, I think that, especially here in the West, we just do not have a real concept of what democracy is. People think that democracy is voting, and then all of a sudden, democracy has happened. I'm sorry, but uh, democracy is having control over your working and living conditions, and uh, having a a way to defend that. (laughs) Yeah. Is mayonnaise a democracy? I don't know. I I mean, I also think it's a good job of like how... And this is a purposeful thing, but how like we get inculcated sort of with this mystification of what unions are. It's like you get the, oh, they're a third party or they're a corrupt organization or you get all this. So they come, they're like a business that is between the workers and the, and the, the company. It's like, no, it's the, the, a union and unionization more broadly is just an attempt 
to democratize the workplace. That's all it is. It's very simple. And so that's why I like this, the simplicity of this Patrick meme. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, well, going uh, the opposite for, direction from simplicity. Yeah, <laughs> yeah definitely. Yes. We have another the fucking share zone uh, meme. And uh, this actually just goes back to another thing that we were talking about before we started recording, which is about lying on your resume. That's true. We were talking about <laughs> yeah. that. Yeah. So <laughs> this has got, it's, it's, you know, your normal share zone aesthetics. You've got the Grim Reaper there. He's in like, I don't know, the middle of a field or something. And it's, it's, it's just like all these words in the background, must have degree, 10 years experience, certification, <laughs> lift 50 pounds google docs like helping customers <laughs> must have good c- commu- communication skills now beg <laughs> so the response in gigantic like 80s lined text is just lie <laughs> your job never tells you the truth and they're usually too lazy to check if you're lying it's true it's true it's so true that's actually something i said pretty much verbatim before we started recording and i didn't look <laughs> yeah. at the meme review before we started <laughs> yeah yeah i mean it's true your job lies to you every day so you know there's no reason you should feel bad about going the other way yeah well we're not gonna lie to you folks we're entirely listener supported <laughs> 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 That's and right, if folks. you'd like to support us you can support us on patreon.com slash work stoppage it really helps us out uh jump in the discord leave a review somewhere anywhere anywhere at all follow us on on the different platforms we've got john on twitter at facebook villain we've got the pod at work stoppage pod you, we actually have a website at uh, workstoppagepod.com if you're interested in getting the newest episodes via a website. I'm not sure if that's something that people still do, but it exists just in <laughs> case you do. Also, uh, check out the other content that the people here make, like Beep Beep Lettuce and Red Game Table. And also, I mean, we talked about it last episode, but go and listen to Invent the Futures episode with Dan. It rocks. He explains why the U.S. is bad. And... <laughs> <laughs> And that's why the episode is 27 hours long. (laughs) It is three hours long about, but uh, it was, it was engaging the whole time and I loved listening to it. Uh, But as always, labor peace is not in our interest in solidarity forever. Solidarity. Solidarity, everybody. (laughs) 